All right. You guys got your Bibles. You can turn to Luke 18. Luke chapter 18. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about prayer. How many of you, uh, how many of you pray? All right. How many of you ever struggle with it? Not all of you, right? Uh, prayer is a complicated thing. I think it's one of those, it's prayer, listen, prayer is one of those things that even for believers can be incredibly complicated. Um, and so, you know, as we guys, we launched Rooted last week. If you're not, man, we certainly hope that you get into a group, walk through that study with a group of people. But the, the foundation of Rooted is to build these seven rhythms of spiritual life inside of ourselves so that growing in our faith and deepening in our faith becomes something that we can do, right? Listen, there's no secret uh, recipe for being a believer who stays faithful throughout the years. It's just hard work. Can somebody say amen? Right? Listen, it doesn't matter how amazing your church is or how incredible worship is. It doesn't matter how amazing the children's ministry is or how focused we are on missions. At the end of the day, you still got to do it. You still got to do it. I still got to do it. And there's a lot of difficult things to have to walk through. A lot of difficult things in the world. And so one of those practices for a believer is prayer. And yet it's such a complicated thing. And so we're just going to, listen, we're going to read a lot of scriptures tonight. So if you've got, if you've got something to take notes with, right, encourage you to write them down and look at them later. If you're on the Bible app, they're right there. You can look it up on the YouVersion Bible app and just follow the Tomoka events or follow the events page, follow, find Tomoka and you can follow along. But we're going to cover a ton, a ton of scriptures tonight. So let me, let me just start this by telling you, uh, when I was thinking about prayer, this reminded me of this story, right? A couple, three, three guys, right? They were hunting, going through the woods and they ended up coming out of this clearing and they came upon a huge river that was, that was raging and they didn't know how they were going to get across. And so they were all believers. They were all brothers, went to the same church. And so one of the guys, right, decided he was going to pray. And he said, God, I just pray that you will give me strength to cross this river. Just like that, God made his arms and his legs big and strong. And so he jumps into the river and he swims across it. Takes him a little over two hours. Nearly drowned a couple times, but he made it. Next guy standing there saw what had happened and he prayed to God. He said, God, just give me the tools to get across this river. And sure enough, poof, there was a boat right there on the side of the river. So he pushes the little boat in, gets in, paddles, takes him about an hour, nearly capsizes two or three times to get across, but he makes it. Finally, the third guy standing there, looks at the river, looks at those guys, and he says, God, I want to be strong, I want the tools, and I want the intelligence to cross that river. Poof, he turns, turns that guy into a woman. She reads the map, walks downstream a little bit, and walks right across the bridge. Thank you. I, I knew that I would only get applause from half of you. So um, prayer, it's a weird thing. So let's just read some scriptures. I'm just going to read through a bunch of scriptures to start with. You can follow along. Just to give you an idea, even how complicated prayer can be if you're reading the word of God, 
right? So listen to these verses, Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and what? Faithful in prayer. How about this one? Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to what? Prayer, being watchful and thankful. How about 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? Everybody read it with me. Everybody online, everybody here says what? Pray continually, without ceasing, right? But it says more. How about this? 1 John chapter 5 says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So who believes in the name of the Son of God? Say amen, right? He said, I'm writing these things to you so that you'll know that you have eternal life, Right? This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask what? Anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. How about this one? Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, say it with me. Whatever. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will what? It'll be yours. How about this one? Mark chapter six or Matthew six, seven and eight. When you pray, don't just keep on babbling like the pagans, right? For they think they'll be heard because of their many words, right? How about the next verse? Philippians four. Don't be anxious about what? But in Everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Listen, we can go on and on and on. Bible has lots of things to say about prayer. You should pray without ceasing, right? You should devote yourself to prayer, right? You should be faithful in prayer. Oh, and you should believe when you pray so that you can receive what you ask for. But you can't do it with too many words because that sounds like a pagan, right? And you can't do that. Oh, and you're not allowed to be anxious while you're praying because prayer should replace your anxiety about the thing that you're praying for. And I didn't read James 1, but James 1 says you, you absolutely can't doubt when you pray because if you doubt while you pray, you should expect you'll get nothing. Complicated, yes or no? Yeah, it's crazy, right? You can, you can throw a rock and find a scripture that makes you believe in a certain thing about prayer. Because they're all over the place. Right? Believe it and receive it. Pray all the time and you'll get it. But don't say it with too many words. So make them short. Right? It's just on and on and on and on. So what? what is prayer? What's the purpose of prayer? What's it supposed to do for me? Right? Because we live in a world, listen, when we, we live in a world that when we ask for something, we want to what? We want to get it, right? When you pull up to the drive-thru and they say, hey, welcome to Taco Bell. How's it going, right? Well, the answer is that depends on whether you get right what I ask you to give me, right? That's the way it works because when we ask for it, we sort of expect to receive it. It's the same way with prayer. So let me ask you, everybody online and everybody in here, how many of you have ever asked for something in prayer and did not get it? Okay. And how many of you that did that and got didn't receive it, how many of you struggled with that? Because of verses that say, ask anything you want of me, and if you believe it, you will receive it. Struggle? Yes or no? Yeah. 
tough. Incredibly tough. So there's a lot, listen, there's a lot about prayer that is incredibly difficult for us to comprehend. Right? So what I want to do tonight is I want to look at one passage. It's in Luke 18. So if you got your, your Bibles on your phones, wherever you got them, I just want to encourage you to get your Bibles out so we can read these verses together. Luke chapter 18. We're going to read just eight verses. Uh, we're going to read these eight verses together in Luke 18. And then we're going to talk just about prayer. Listen, we're going to meet together tonight and I've got 31 minutes. We are not covering everything about prayer, right? What we're going to cover is what this passage teaches us about prayer. And in it, we're going to read a lot of, a lot of different verses, right? I want to get, I want to get us into the frame of mind of what I think the core teaching is of scripture. So in Luke chapter 18, right? Uh, Luke writes, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read it to you, right? Oh, thanks, David. I, I didn't give it to you, but I appreciate that. Jesus told his disciples, now if you look in, if you look in Luke in verse 17, or in chapter 17 and get to the end, Jesus gives the disciples a little bit of a punch in the gut. And basically at the end of 17, he says, listen, there's a time that's going to come and it's going to be really, really bad. And the person that's on the roof shouldn't go down in the house. Right? The person's out in the field shouldn't come back to the house. He said, eventually, there's going to be two in the field, one's taken and one's left. Right? He, he's going to talk about the days when the Son of Man comes, right? And how difficult that season's going to be, right? And he's going to say in that, cha- in that chapter, listen, it's going to be just like in the days of Noah. People are going to be eating and drinking and marrying and act like everything's fine and not caring about God. And God's going to show up. It's going to be tough times. Right after that discussion, he says to his disciples, he tells them a parable to show them that they should what? Always pray and what? Okay. Pray and not give up. Those two things together are going to be important about what Jesus is going to teach us about prayer. goes on to say this. So he says in a certain town... There was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. That Greek word, therefore, not cared about men, is the idea of having no shame, right? He was not the kind of person that could ever be brought to shame by somebody getting up there and talking about how bad he was. He had no regard for that. You could say whatever you wanted about him, and he had zero ability to be shamed by your criticism of him, right? And so there was also a widow in that town who kept coming to that unjust judge with this plea, grant me justice, right? Against my adversary. We don't know what happened to her. We don't know if she got robbed, if somebody took her property, if she got beaten, we don't have a clue. We just know something happened to her and now she wants justice, right? For some time, the judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, nor do I have the ability to be shamed by people, he says, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Right? So what Jesus says is this. If you want something, badger God to death. You agree with that? Not sure, are you? Right? (laughs) How many of you have ever had a toddler... 
who just repeatedly ask you over and over again for the same thing. And eventually you just give in because you're tired of being bothered. Right? If you haven't, you're a better parent and grandparent than I am. Right? But eventually that kind of persistence wears on him. So here's what he says. Right? Uh, Bring that verse back up, would you, uh, for a second. One more. Right? Down here at the bottom he says, I'm going to give in to her so that she won't eventually wear me out. Okay? That's a really interesting Greek word, right? That's going to describe what she accomplished through her prayer. And here's what we find out, right? What we think is this. What Jesus is going to say is, listen, as long as you keep praying, as long as you bother God, as long as you pester him to death, he's going to give it to you. Now, let me ask you a question. Online in here. Some of you have been a faithful believer for a long time. Have you ever had a topic that you just wore God out about and prayed and prayed and prayed? Yes or no? And it still didn't work out? Yes or no? Right? Absolutely. Right? Again, theology has to be filtered through the way God lets it happen in our lives. If it doesn't line up, it's not right. Right? And so he says this at the end of the thing. Here's Jesus' teaching on it. So the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Right? The unjust judge says, I'm tired of her. She's wearing me out. So I'm going to give in to her. Right? And will not God bring about justice for his... If you know Jesus in here, online, say amen. Right? You are a one. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Right? And will God, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Look at the next verse. I tell you. He will see that the chosen ones get justice and get it how? Anybody feel like God's acting quickly right now? Feel like it's tarrying? Hard to believe that this is quick, right? Man, if this is quick, I'm a little concerned about what slow would look like, right? Right? He says, I tell you, he's going to see that you get justice. He's going to get it quickly. Again, the chosen ones. However, here's the question. However, when the Son of Man comes in chapter 17... Jesus said he was coming. When he comes, everybody read it. Will he find what? Faith on the earth. Right? So let's walk through this chapter. Luke chapter 18. Let's walk through it. Right? And just point out some, what I think are some teachings from this chapter. Here's the first one. I think the first thing that we get out of this chapter is a picture of our standing in prayer. Okay? So in the story, the parable, remember a parable is a story that Jesus tells to teach a biblical, a godly, right? A spiritual lesson, right? It's like the stupid stuff that we do. Like Joe and I, we try to use stories or metaphors to try to teach a biblical lesson. That's all a parable is, right? It's just an earthly story, right? To try to give you a metaphorical teaching spiritually, right? So in the story, he equates the prayer, right? The person that prays with the who? The widow. Everybody say the widow, right? Come on, man. You do better than that. The what? The widow, right? Now, I don't know what you know about widows in the Middle East in Jesus's day, 
But they didn't have a lot going for them. I want to read this to you just real quick. What one author wrote about a widow standing in culture. It says, nonetheless, the loss of a husband in ancient Israel was normally a social and an economic tragedy. In generally patriarchal culture, the death of a husband usually meant a type of cultural death for the wife as well. Although the denotation of widow referred to a woman whose husband had died, because of the social context, the word quickly acquired the connotation of a person who lived with marginal existence and an extreme poverty. A widow reacted with grief to her plight and probably wore a distinct garb as a sign of her status. Disillusionment and bitterness easily resulted for lots of widows. They also... Her crisis was aggravated. Aggravated. She had no able-bodied children. Hear the word son, right? To work the land of her dead spouse, to provide for her children, to maintain severe, to maintain the estate, and to continue payments on debts accrued by her husband imposed severe burdens on her. She was in an extremely vulnerable economic position. She became the prime target of exploitation. The fact that she was classed with that landless stranger and the Levite indicates that she was often unable to keep her husband's land. Do you think it was an accident that Jesus chose the widow to picture us when we pray? I don't. Jesus is a really smart cat. So Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to pray and never give up. And then he's going to equate me and you as prayers with this widow. And what was a widow? She was a woman who was devastated by the conditions of her life. Ripe for exploitation. Living in extreme poverty and fear. If she had no sons, she had no way to till her ground and work it. Right? And there was a good chance, better chance, that she was going to lose it than keep it. And that's who God pictures us as. So listen to our standing as people who pray. Because this parable gives us a picture of who we are. Let's read some scriptures. Matthew 6, listen to this. When you pray, don't be like a hypocrite. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, right? And on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, do what? Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who's what? Unseen, right? Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, he says, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him, right? Think of our standing. He says to us, don't get up here, right? Don't get up here on the stage in front of everybody and make your prayer, right, ostentatious and full of words and oppressive to the hearer because that's not what he wants. He says, when you pray, you should do it what? You should do it in private. You should do it secretly. I mean, think about it. Picture yourself. If you're leaving the stage and going to pray into a room where you close the door, do you get the posture that God's asking you to take? 
You see the posture of the person he's asking you to be? You're standing when it comes to prayer. How about this one? He says this in Hebrews 4. Check this out. Therefore, since we've got a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith that we profess. He says, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. First of all, aren't you grateful that Jesus gets how messed up we are, right? And not just understands it. The Bible says he sympathizes with it, right? He has an emotional component to relate to it, right? I don't know about you, but that makes our faith different than every other faith in the entire world, right? But Jesus gets you and he gets me. Listen to this. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did it without failing, right? So here's what we get. Again, look at our standing. We're the widow. What does that mean? He said, we should approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence, right? Confidence, but look what we're asking for. So that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help us in our time of what? Need. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been in court. But you have seen or heard pictures describing somebody who throws themselves on the mercy of the court. Yes or no? Right? The person that's pleading for mercy has done what? Something. Everybody say the word wrong. Listen, you ain't pleading for mercy if you did it right. If you did it wrong, you plead for mercy. Did you see the picture? He said, man, we got to come to God's throne we got to come to God's throne with confidence. And we got to ask him for what? Mercy in our time of need. You know what that means? Here's our posture. We're people that when we're sinners participating in our sin, we still come to God in our standing as people who need that mercy and grace. You get the picture? Well, see, we're the widow. We're the widow. We're the broken person. Right? We're the person that prays in secret. We're not the person that runs to the bench and demands justice. We're the widow, right? Who's been told to pray in secret. We're the broken who needs the mercy given to us from Jesus, our high priest. Why? Because we're all sinners. Listen, there's not one person in here, one person alive that isn't living a life in faith, honoring Jesus, that you don't have moments that you need the mercy of God to get by. Amen? Our standing in prayer, right? And so, listen, so much of our standing in prayer is almost arrogant because we read verses. If you believe it, you'll receive it, right? And because of that, our posture doesn't become one of secret, doesn't become one of humility. Our posture become one, becomes one of an insolent teenager who demands the keys to the car. And that's not what prayer is. Prayer is about, one, learning our picture of our standing before God. We are the person in the courtroom who needs the mercy of the court. And when you forget that and you pray, listen, if I believe it, right, I'm going to receive it. Listen, there is a posture that's absent in that theology. And if you don't think that that affects your prayer life and God's response to you, you're not paying attention. Because we are the widow. 
That's who our standing is. How about this one? Psalm 39, 12, the psalmist writes this. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers are. Hear the posture. Hear the standing of the prayer, right? God, give me mercy. I'm an outsider. I'm an alien. I'm weeping. Times are tough, right? Listen, I want to encourage you in your prayer life. Part of what you and I need to learn in our prayer life is the posture. And the posture is a person, we're the widow. We're the widow. We're the one that's in desperate need of justice. We're the one that's in desperate need of the righteous judge to benefit us, to help us, to bail us out. And here's the thing. Going with a posture of arrogance because you found a scripture that told you that whatever you ask, God was going to give it and you should never doubt and that should be your posture. Listen, having confidence is a lot different than having arrogance. Confidence and arrogance are not the same thing. I am confident that I'm going to preach overtime today. I'm not a bit arrogant about it, okay? There's a huge difference between the two, right? He said, you can go to God's throne with confidence, but you need to know your standing. And your standing is one of a widow, one who prays in secret, right? One who needs the mercy of the court, one who is a stranger and an alien who weeps in their need for help. Listen, I pray for you and for me to constantly maintain that posture. Listen, I don't know about you. I mean, I love my kids. And I want my kids to come to me and ask things in confidence. I do not want my kids to come to me and ask for me things because they feel entitled to it. Am I the only one? No. Nobody, listen, there's nobody in here and nobody watching online that likes people coming entitled for things. Yes or no? Right? Do you hate entitlement? Yes or no? Of course you do. Of course you do. And yet, how many people's prayer lives are identified by entitlement because we found a scripture that said, if you believe it, you receive it, right? It's not true. Our posture, our standing is that of the widow. Here's the second one. It's a picture of our situation, our situation in prayer, right? This widow was before the judge because she needed justice. So something wrong had happened to her, yes or no? Right. And if you do, listen, if you do any research at all about what widows went through in the Middle East in the day of Jesus, your mind can race to all kinds of things that she went through. Right. There's all kinds of things that could have happened to this widow. This woman could have been a widow with no sons to protect her. All of her daughters could have been married and she could have been home alone. She could have been raped. Right. She could, she could have somebody who was stealing her stuff from her or taking her land because they exploited an unjust, an unjust judge by bribing them. Any number of things could have happened to her. And guess what she could have done about it? Nothing. Nothing. Her situation was terrible. She was a woman in need of justice. And her only hope was a judge who didn't care about God and didn't have the ability to be shamed by people. Her situation was terrible. 
What about yours? We already know what our picture of our standing is in prayer. Our picture should be of the widow. Our picture should never stray far from the fact that we're the widow. We're the sinner. We're the one that needs mercy. We're the one that needs justice. We're not the entitled teenager that demands his part or her part. We're we're the widow. We're in need. How about our situation? Listen to John 16, 33. Many of you know this verse, right? You can quote it or read it with me. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He says, in this world you will have trouble. Anybody relate to that? Yes or no? Prophetic in your life? Yes or no? Right? Is there anybody in here? Anybody online who's lived this world and have had no trouble? Anybody? Please, if you have, I'll give you the microphone right now. Right? No, we've all lived in a world of trouble. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Listen, one of the things, listen, one of the things that you and I have to be aware of in our prayer life is our situation isn't very good at times. This woman's situation was terrible. And what did she do? She went to the unjust judge and asked for judgment. And she did it. And she did it. Listen, part of the reason why you need to know about your situation is because you need to, it needs to be such that it moves you to prayer. Right? How about this one in 1 Peter 2? Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, again, remember our standing. Our standing is the widow. We're the person in need of help. Right? We're the broken sinner in need of mercy. We're not the hypocrite on stage who stands and, and has elegant words. We're the one in the, in the silence of our darkened room, right? He says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, he says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit yourselves Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every. Some of us need to mark that in our Bibles. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Guess who he was writing that to? Christians who were living under Roman authority. He said, submit yourselves to every authority. I think sometimes we have it wrong. When we say who we're actually fighting as Americans, right? We're fighting Satan. We're not fighting the people trying to take over our country. We're fighting our enemy, right? He said, submit to every authority instituted among men, whatever, whether to the king as the supreme authority, he says, or to governors who are sent to him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Listen, Peter wrote this. As a person who lived under the oppression of corrupt people. And he told us what to do. If you ever wonder how you should behave in 2022 as a Christian who's living in America and watching what's going, what you're going through, all you got to do is read 1 Peter chapter 2. It'll tell you exactly how to do it. You may not like it. You may not like it. But it's what the Bible says. It's how Jesus told us to act. And you don't, listen, those verses have to be read in context. This was first century. This was Roman rule. And just read a book about Rome. These people were awful. Awful. And he said, submit to them. He goes on to say this, for for it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Right? Live as free men. 
Don't just use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but use your freedom to live as what? Servants of God. He goes on to say, show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and what? Honor the king. He was a corrupt, no good Roman. And he said, honor the king. Show proper respect to everyone. Listen, sounds like a good situation to live in as a Christian, yes or no? No, it sounds like a terrible situation, right? Would you have wanted to have been a Christian, a Jewish Christian living under Roman oppression, yes or no? No, these people were terrible. See, the thing about the widow is she teaches us our standing. But this parable also teaches us our situation. It's not very good. How many of you right now have situations in your family that aren't very good? How many of you are dealing, you don't have to raise your hands for these, right? These are just questions. How many of you are dealing, or some of you can just keep your hand up every, for all of it, right? I don't care, right? There are people who right now in here and online that are dealing with all kinds of financial issues. There are people in here right now that are dealing with all kinds of relational issues. There are people in here and online right now that are dealing with all kinds of moral issues. There's people in here and online that are dealing with all kinds of issues of failure, right? Of doubt, of anger, of fatigue, right? And, and not only are you dealing with it, if you're married, your spouse is probably dealing with it. And if you've got children, they're probably dealing with it. And if you've got adult children, right? They're causing you more trouble than the kids at home did, right? You just, there's, listen, it's tough. And then you take that and you set it aside and you take the macro version or the macro perspective of our world and it's falling apart. I read like 47 headlines yesterday. Out of the 47 headlines I read, 44 of them were terrible news. It's a, it's a dark world we live in. And yet my guess is, for many of us online and many of us in here, we're not even praying on a regular basis. You see, the thing about understanding the widow and her situation was, it drove her to ask. It drove her to ask. It drove her to ask and then it drove her to ask again. So many of us were trying to find our way around the situation and we're not praying. Instead, we're talking to our friends and we're posting stuff online and we're not coming to church and we're not being a part of a group and we're not serving and we're not giving and we're frustrated. And instead of doing the one thing that knowing our situation should do, which is to drive us to our knees and drive us to pray, we're doing everything else. You see, knowing your situation fixes your posture or knowing your standing fixes your posture. I'm a sinner. I'm a believer who's been accepted by Jesus. I'm a chosen one, but at the end, I'm a sinner in need of mercy. And I should approach that throne confidently, but I should never forget that because I'm the widow. But the widow situation should always remind you and me, we need help. And you know where you go when you need help? When you need justice, you go to the judge. And it's, ir it's irrelevant, Jesus says in the parable, unjust or just, go. And you ask. So if you're in here tonight and you're online tonight and you're not praying and you're not devoting yourself to prayer and you're not praying without ceasing and you're not being faithful in prayer, man, I want you to become because if you need any more reason to pray, then just get a better handle on your situation. Or the situation around you. Peter was, goes on and, and, and re, I'll, I'll give you the verse. I'm not going to read it, David. But you can find the verse. It's First Peter 
chapter, uh, chapter 2, 19 through 23. Uh, go to Philippians 4 right there, David. It's the second verse down from that one. I just want to read this one about our situation. Paul says this about prayer. Don't be what? Anxious about what? Anything. So may I ask a question. Anybody in here, anybody online anxious about something in their life right now? Yes or no? Right? Anybody in here, anybody online ever been anxious about something in their life? Well, we've got a lot of people never been anxious in here. So next week we're talking about truth telling. Okay? Right? Listen, why would he say to people, don't be anxious? Because they're what? Because they got anxiety in their life and they got stuff making them anxious. Listen, when you get to that point, he says, but in everything by what? Prayer. The Greek word for prayer, let me tell you what prayer means. The Greek word for prayer is to make my wish towards something, right? It's the actual Greek word means to wish, right? It's you taking your wishes, right? And making them, directing them toward heaven. That's what prayer is. This word petition in some of your Bible says supplication, Right? What this is, is this is about you being moved in such a way that your need, right? Your lack and your need have caused you to have this emotional movement that actually precipitates my prayer. Right? Your supplication is your emotional weight created by what you're dealing with that drives you to ask for prayer to make your wish known. Do you see that in the widow? Over and over and over. She had no justice and she needed some because she was a widow who had no rights and no standing and no covering and she needed justice. So what did she do? She took her supplication and she made her wishes known to that judge over and over and over and over again. My guess is many of us in here are not praying near enough. We've taken our situation. We talk about it all the time. We tell people how terrible it is. Do you have any idea how bad things are going on in my life? And the minute we tell that person, we can't wait to tell the next one. And yet somehow we're not telling God. You see, if you know your situation, like the widow knew hers, you knew where to go for help. That's what we need to do in prayer. And then here's the last one. The last one is this real quick. It's a picture of our saturation. A picture of our saturation in prayer. So let me read a verse to you. Luke chapter 18, verse 4 and 5. For some time the judge refused, finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't care about men, he says, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, he says, I, I, I will see that she gets justice. He goes on to say this, so that she won't eventually, everybody read that with me, she won't eventually what? Where? With her coming. That Greek word's a really cool Greek word. It's used two times in scripture. Two. And it means this. To hit somebody right below the eye. It literally means to take your fist and hit them right below the eye. That's what he says about this woman. I got to get her justice because she's going to hit me below the eye. Right? I'm going to read it to you in the other passage it's found. First Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. Because here's the thing. Your saturation in prayer is going to determine how much you're praying, right? If something is saturated with water, it is full of water. If your life is saturated in prayer, it's going to be full of what? Prayer. So how saturated are you? Here's a great way to know. The judge says, this woman, this woman is wearing me out, meaning she's hitting me here over and over and over again. And I need to get her out of here because this is going to wear me out. 
Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in, all, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Does that make sense to everybody? Right? Listen, if everybody's running on the track and nobody's trying to win, ain't nobody watching that race. Right? That's called, that's called recess for kindergartners. Okay? Everyone who competes, though, in these Olympic games, these Corinthian games, they go into strict training. Right? Because they're trying to win. Look what happens. They do that to get a crown. Right? They do that to get a crown that won't last. We do it to get a crown that will last for how long? Hey, amen. Right? He says this. Therefore, because I'm running in a race or my crown's going to be for eternity. He said, I don't run like a guy who's running aimlessly. That's a picture. That's a picture of Phoebe on Friends when she ran through the park. Anybody in Friends remember that? Running, throwing her hands up because she said it was fun. That's aimlessly, right? The actual word means to punch into the wind, right? Run and throw your fist and punch the wind and no opponent. That's what it actually means, right? He says, I don't fight like a man that just beats the air. Look what he does. He said, no, I what? Everybody say that word. Beat my body and make it my slave. So after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Bring that verse back up, David. I beat my body. It's the same Greek word as the judge used. Right? So what he says is when you and I are living out our Christian life, the only way to actually run the race is you and I got to keep this thing in check. Anybody ever struggle with their flesh? Yes or no? It ever get in the way of your Christianity? Yes or no? Yes or no? Anybody's flesh going to get in the way of their Christianity later tonight? <laughs> that was a trick question. All right. It, listen, we all deal with it. Galatians 5, right, says that the flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit lusts against the flesh. These two are at war with each other. They, they, are, they, are, they are pit against each other, right, so that you don't always get to do what you want to do. Right? It's a fight every Christian will have until the day they die. He says, here's the way I do it. The way I do it is I hit myself right here. Not literally. Paul's not walking around with a black eye because he's punching himself in the face. He's figuratively hitting himself here. Why? So I don't, I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever taken a punch, a bare knuckle punch right here. Anybody? Okay, a few of you. If you take a bare knuckle punch right here, you know what happens to your knees? They buckle, right? David Wolf, my best friend, we were, we were acting out of play in seventh grade. I didn't know that he wasn't acting and he hit me right here. And I ended up on the floor, right? Because when you get hit here, it incapacitates you. You know what Paul says? I run or I discipline my body, my flesh in such a way that I incapacitate it so I can run spiritually and get my crown. The judge says... I'm going to give up saying no to this woman because what's going to happen is she is going to so saturate me with her coming that it's going to feel like I have hit the floor and I have been beaten up and I have no will left to live. Let me ask you a question. Does that describe your prayer life? Is your prayer life such that it is like the picture of beating yourself below the eye and bringing yourself into submission over and over and over again. It was for the widow. And if you're a widow who needs justice, how many times do you come and ask for it? Once? 
No. You come how many times? You come as many stinking times as you need to to get it. When should you stop praying? shouldn't. You shouldn't. And it's not about believing and receiving. This is about being a widow who knows her situation, understands there is power in that process of that begging and that repetition. Right? And here's another verse I want to read to close it. Luke 18, 8 says this. This is Jesus' teaching. He said, I tell you, right, he will see, Jesus will see, or the judge will see that they get justice and quickly. However, listen to this. When the Son of Man, when Jesus comes again, will he find what? Faith on the earth. Here's the last thing I want to say to you about prayer. This whole journey, your whole journey, right? Everybody online, everybody in here, mine. Listen, our whole journey with God is built upon one thing. It's built upon faith. Faith. It's all about faith. Hebrews eleven six says it this way. He says, and without what? It's not possible to please God. Right? This existence that you are in, that I'm in, the reason you're here, the reason you're watching online for most of you, is because of your faith. You know what prayer ultimately is? Prayer is not an ultimate exercise of a to-do list or a Christmas list or a shopping list that you just give to God and go, here, I believe it. I receive it and give it away. No, that is totally dumbing down what prayer is. You know what prayer is? Prayer is an exercise of a widow in faith. Because her situation is so desperate that she knows and believes that the only person that can give it to her is an unjust judge. Is our judge unjust? No. He's a good God who loves his children and knows what we need before we ask. And so do you know what the desperate person in us with a bad situation does? We exercise our faith and we go to the only place we know to get our justice. We pray and we pray and we pray and we don't measure prayer by what we get. We measure prayer by who we give it to. You see, prayer is ultimately an exercise of faith. Jesus taught this parable. It said to teach them to pray and never give up. And the last statement he makes is, will the son of man comes? Will he still find faith on the earth? It's no coincidence that he's tying in your prayer life and my prayer life to an act of faith. If your prayer life is simply a demand to get what you want, you've missed the boat entirely. You've become entitled and you're no longer the widow. Change your posture. And in that posture, recognize your situation. We need help. And go to the only place that you can trust. Go to your Heavenly Father and do it over and over and over again. Amen, church? All right. Next week, just so I give you a preview, we're going to talk about repentance. So I figure there will be six of you here. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we can trust you. We're so, we are so geared as humans to ask to receive. And you want us to. You want us to ask you. You want us to come to you. Father, I pray that our posture of prayer will put us in a position to exercise our faith with you. 
that our prayer isn't for an outcome. Our prayer is to the one who can produce the outcome. So, Father, increase our faith as we increase our prayer life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.